back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today in the first portion of this episode, it's just going to be myself this time actually recording this the same night that the Sacramento Kings fell to the Minnesota Timberwolves in the final game of a four-game road trip where they went one in three against some really subpar opponents. They played San Antonio, who have a record of four and ten. OKC, with a who are sitting with a five and eight record. They beat Detroit, who has a two and ten record. And then, like I said, just lost most recently to Minnesota, who are sitting at a five and nine record. And those records include their wins against the Kings. So, after what was a pretty promising start for the Kings this season against high level of competition and being competitive, even in the games that they were losing um, close in pretty much most of the first games of the season and ended up pulling out victories in a good handful of them, about half there against, again, high level competition. Um, You know, we saw multiple showings against Utah, Golden State, a couple games against Phoenix. A couple others are slipping my mind right now, but the Kings played some good teams. They took care of business against New Orleans, for example, a team that is notably worse than them as we're seeing more clearly as the year continues to go on. So heading into this road trip, the idea was that, okay, Sacramento will be able to really make their record a lot nicer against, like I said, subpar opponents. And obviously that did not happen. If you also include the two losses before this road trip against Phoenix and Indiana that were Close fought, and some portion of that is shots not going down. Phoenix hasn't lost a game unless they lost the night of recording, and I I missed it since the Harrison Barnes game winner that I'm sure we remember so well. But over the last six games, Sacramento's now lost five of them, and we're having the same issues over and over and over. Offensive rebounding. I don't know how many times we are going to hear the issue is offensive rebounding and there's guards on opposing teams that are regularly pulling down a obscene amount of offensive rebounds just makes no sense. There's at least one possession at very least one possession every single game where it feels like four Kings players are just lackadaisical and chasing a defensive rebound and it, just rolls to an opposing perimeter player. And we've seen Walton frustrated beyond belief, talking about it nonstop, pregame, postgame. You can see him throw fits on the sidelines, understandably. Not throw fits maybe is poor wording, but very clearly frustrated with the guys that are out there for not focusing on what clearly is an emphasis for this roster. Um, You know, We've talked about the roster construction on this pod a countless amount of times for it only being 15 games into this season, but a smaller roster is going to cause rebounding issues. We saw it last year. So the team needs to rebound as a group, as a unit. They need to all be aware that this is a priority and focus on it. The issue is staying locked in in that aspect for 48 minutes, which is also a larger issue that we keep seeing with this Kings team. There's always eight minutes or so in every single game where they just collapse. In Minnesota, it was the beginning of the third. Carl Anthony Towns 
got two quick fouls um, about three and a half minutes into this game. Didn't end up getting his third one until there were about two or three minutes left in the first half. He ends up sitting until the third quarter where he did not miss a shot. He only had four attempts, but then he also brought in three assists as well and nine points there. And yeah, it's just a lack of focus. You know, there's a lot of crap that Luke is getting in this. You know, there was the reporting that he could be on the hot seat, which I don't think was all too surprising after a loss to a dreadful Oklahoma City team in just horrible fashion. The way that Sacramento blew that lead is a prime example of this lack of focus for an entire 48 minutes or say 48 is not even possible. I think that's reasonable to say that you're, you can't be locked in for 48 minutes. Maybe you can't, maybe not. You can't be, but it's not reasonable. Like if we got 45 minutes of the Kings being locked in, they win a handful more games than they've dropped than the nine that they've now dropped early in this season. So Yeah, being locked in and understanding what the defensive game plan is, sticking to that, having solid rotations. But really, we keep hearing offensive rebounding, and that's caused some lineup changes. And I'm just going to play a clip from Walton here that is from the post-game conference after the loss to Minnesota talking about exactly what I just said, his concerns with rebounding leading to some of the lineup changes we have seen. You know, part of why we are playing, you know, different lineups early is so we can have more space and more speed and more shooting um, because that's how we want to play. So, you know, we naturally start going bigger. That's naturally going to slow us down a little bit, a little less space. Um, Guys, getting familiar uh, with, with, you know, executing together, things like that. So it's always a give and take, and we're constantly just trying to push all of it forward. Uh, But the rebounding got to the point where, like, it became top priority. Even if we have to sacrifice offense and other aspects of the game, uh, we have to become a better rebounding team. So uh, that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at. Now we've got other stuff to clean up for sure. So an emphasis on rebounding seemed to mean Chemezi Metu could potentially help there, I guess I should say. It looked like that is a direction or an avenue that the Kings wanted to explore, that Luke Walton and the coaching staff wanted to explore. And pregame against Minnesota, quote from Walton, is uh, the top priority for us is still getting better at our defensive rebounding. Chemezi is someone with his size and physicality. We think he could help with that. and. Mezzi has looked solid in the games that he's played. He has started three games in a row now against OKC, Detroit, and then Minnesota, and had some offensive versatility that has been surprising to me. Um, You'll hear me talk about it a little bit with Dane Moore in the second segment of this episode, but yeah, he's putting the ball on the floor a little more than what I'm accustomed to, and he's making some really impressive passes for a player of his role and inexperience. He's comfortable shooting from three. He's getting it up with decent volume and with a hand in his face and converting at a 
above average rate. Um, I think offensively, he's a good four. He's rebounding fairly well. He brought down 10 rebounds, which is a career high for him in Detroit. Five in his 25 minutes against OKC. Six in the 20 minutes he played against San Antonio. And in the game before the last home game for the Kings, he brought down six boards in 19 minutes against Phoenix. And then most recently in his third consecutive start in Minnesota, he had eight rebounds. So he's rebounding at a good rate, right? It's it's definitely not, I don't know, it doesn't feel, we're still having offensive rebounding issues from the opposition. You know, like Met 2 has not solved that issue. Um, I mean, we did see it contained against Minnesota, a team that has as you'll hear in the next segment, very, very similar issues to Sacramento, if I might add, but only had 10 offensive rebounds only, I guess. So that's that. But then as you hear Walton mention, when you put more of an emphasis on rebounding in the form of lineup changes, you're sacrificing in other aspects. And the issue is you're sacrificing in a lot of other aspects with going with Chemezi Metsu. I like Metsu. Like I mentioned, I think he's capable offensively at the four. The thing is, if you're looking for offense, then you'd rather have Barnes at the four, and then you're talking about Buddy Heald or Terrence Davis, who I know has struggled. Um, even Davion Mitchell, probably a better offensive player than Chemezi Metsu. But I get when you're comparing those three guys and Metu that Metu might be this fine line between rebounding and being capable on offense. But the other complication here is that, or also in that process, before I get to what I view as some of the complication, is we've seen Marvin Bagley get some minutes. And when that happened against Detroit, there was some speculation of, oh, maybe it's to showcase him, right? It was reported that Detroit is a team that has been keeping an eye on the Bagley situation. We've heard before that they last season turned down a Sadiq Bay for Marvin Bagley swap, which of course they did. I would have been very happy to have Sadiq Bay on this team in place of Marvin, but we saw him play 17 minutes against Detroit. And then in pregame against Minnesota, he was asked about Marvin, Coach Walton, that is, and his quote was, Marvin is playing again tonight. We're putting our biggest and best rebounders on the court. And sure enough, Marvin Bagley ends up playing 11 minutes in Minnesota, tallying two points and five rebounds, three of those being offensive. He was decent on the offensive glass. Um, he's he's going to be rusty during the time that he's out there. I don't expect all too much from him scoring-wise. They did have like one isolation possession for him in those 11 minutes, which I just don't think those should ever really be happening, but I don't know. I, I might lean Bagley over Metu personally, but it's not a great enough difference that, you know, the complications with Bagley, I think, can just be overlooked and maybe not used as a justification to play Metu. But what I'm getting to here is that these guys are getting played over Mo Harkless. And the rebounding it was better against Minnesota, but a big issue against Minnesota was defense. 
And Mo Harkless is one of the better defenders on this Sacramento roster. So, so, so much better than Chemezi Metu and Marvin Bagley. Chemezi Metu and Marvin Bagley are constant negatives on the defensive end of the floor. Maurice Harkless is a positive. And I get when you flip roles on offense, Harkless can be a poor shooter. And, he, and he's willing to get him up. He doesn't provide all too much spacing. But I think that the defense that he provides is extremely valuable. When you are getting defense and rebounding from Harkless, I mean, I shouldn't say and rebounding. Let me take that back. Let me step back there. Because he's been a poor rebounder throughout his career and throughout this year with Sacramento. We've seen just 2.9 rebounds per game. So that's the big change there that Walton identified here. But part of what he says in that quote that I played before is that you're constantly changing these lineups and that's going to lead to these guys needing to understand how to play with new for a different combination of four players around them and not understanding what the strengths and weaknesses of their lineups may be at a given time. Like I I get that. I mentioned this with, with Dane in the later segment. I think that Walton is, I understand the crap that Walton is getting from the fan base and from media, you know, myself included. He's not done a good job coaching this team. But at the same time, I think that it needs to be taken more into account the roster that he's working with. It is very flawed. There's a lot of one-dimensional players that can only play offense or only play defense, kind of like some of the ones I mentioned in Metu, Harkless, Bagley. Terrence Davis probably falls into that. Um, Tristan Thompson falls into that. Alex Len falls into that to an extent, although Len's screens have been really good this year, and Len has kind of disappeared from the lineup. But the inconsistency between everyone that I just mentioned, Davis being in and out of the lineup, Harkless all of a sudden getting back-to-back DNP CDs, Metu not playing for a while. Now he's starting three games in a row. Oh, and by the way, Walton said he's going to start about five games before they reassess how that has gone. So expect two more games of Metu starting. Marvin Bagley is getting work back into the rotation. Terrence Davis, not sure if I already mentioned him in this little rant, has been in and out of the lineup. And that causes so many complications for these other staple pieces of Tyrese Halliburton, De'Aaron Fox, Harrison Barnes, Rashawn Holmes, Davion Mitchell, and Buddy Heald. So Walton talks about, you know, when we go small, we have more shooting. We have more offensive versatility. But the shooters haven't been great this year. Halliburton's been picked it up. He's above 40% um, prior to the Minnesota game. I don't know what his tally is when you add that one for five that he had again in Minnesota, which by the way, Halliburton had a really poor game in this one, but he's picked it up. You know, the three shooters on this team are Halliburton, Buddy and Barnes. So you have that after that. I don't know. You have middling shooters, Davion Mitchell, Terrence Davis should be better than he has been. Chemezi Metu. And then you have to see where De'Aaron Fox ends up lying in that. And same with Marvin Bagley. Rashawn Holmes, 
Tristan Thompson, non-shooters. Alex Len, I guess we've seen it a couple times, but might as well be a non-shooter. There's no, can't really classify him comfortably anything outside of that right now. So this is something that Dane really has put into my mind and I'm going to be watching for more often. It's that like, maybe this team just isn't going to be good at rebounding. And there's lapses where they just need to be better. Like there's inexcusable allowed offensive rebounds that I understand emphasizing, but maybe the lineup doesn't need to keep changing to figure out this offensive rebounding and instead just fully embrace the offense of this team. Or, I mean, I personally don't mind a player like Harkless that is going to improve your defense and your weak side rim protection and your help defense that is so desperately lacking as well. When I think that one player out of the five on the floor makes a greater impact in that aspect than they do in rebounding, since rebounding is a little bit more team oriented when it comes to, you know, one guy messes up there and that's an easy board. It's somewhat the same extent for defense, but help defense rotations being the low man is something that Harkless is really good at. And another thing we've heard harped on a lot for this Kings team. So I'm just wondering at what point do we move on from changing lineups over and over? I guess maybe over and over is being a little overdramatic here, but maybe changing lineups isn't the way to do this. Like maybe they need to just embrace that they're not going to be a good offensive rebounding team. I mean, I'm they're not going to be a great defensive rebounding team. They're going to give up second chance points at a higher rate than most teams in the league. But they better make up for it in other ways. So focus on making those other aspects clear positives. Turnovers happening way, way too often. Team needs more playmaking. Kind of another McNair issue. The roster construction when it comes to playmakers creating for others is poor. It goes Fox, Halliburton, and then I don't really know. Davion Mitchell, sure. I I, I like some of the things I've seen there. Um, But you kind of always have to have one or Fox and Halliburton on the floor. And that leads to some complications. We've seen turnovers be a big cause of concern for Sacramento and some of these inconsistent offensive stretches that we've seen. And Walton talks about that a little bit post game against Minnesota as well. So it's just frustrating. We see the, we're hearing the exact same issues over and over and over for this Kings team, offensive rebounding, poor rotations on defense, not executing game plans for 48 minutes and these live ball turnovers. And I just want to play a clip here that I'm sure a lot of you have seen circling social media after this Minnesota game of Tristan Thompson when he gets asked by Matt George, who hosts the Locked on Kings podcast. Definitely check that out. Matt does good work. He's been on here and, and vice versa a few times. Um, like I said, Matt is Matt's a good guy for sure. And he gets asked about needing to be inspired by a coach. By Is, is it on the coach to inspire players? And... Tristan Thompson gave a very passionate response, which has some language involved that I didn't bother to bleep out. So just uh, stay 
on the lookout for that one. And then I happen to ask the question right after, which my audio is a little bit quiet. So apologies for that. And Thompson gets into why this four game road trip was such a disappointment. Their expect expectations going in and some of the things that he has gone wrong, but really loved getting this insight and perspective and just a taste of some of like the fire and passion that Tristan Thompson brings to this team. So here's that clip of him post game after the Minnesota loss. Hey Tristan, when things start to unravel in, in games and opponents start going on runs like that seven Oh Carl Anthony towns run at the start of the third quarter, um, you've been a vocal leader on this team. Is, is that on coach Walton and the coaching staff to kind of inspire uh, uh, some, some change there? Is that on, does this team need more vocal leadership from players? Are you yourself trying to speak up from the bench in a timeout or even on the floor? Like where's the vocal leadership uh, with this team during those moments? I'm going to say this. I think um, no, no man in this world should rely on another man to inspire them. Point bank player. You could put that in all capitals. I, me personally, no one should ever need a coach to inspire you. If you don't get inspired in a game, then you shouldn't be on the court. Losing teams, losing players, you need to get inspiration from your coach. And I'm not, I'm not with that shit. My teammates better not be with my teammates aren't with it. Cause I know, I know guys want to win and they want to win badly. So it's not about coach Wallen inspiring you. This is not no freaking glory road shit. No, you got to be ready to play. Your number's called you in the damn game. I don't need no fucking coach to, to, to inspire me. Never that, never have, never will. The day I need a coach to inspire me is the day I'm fucking retired. I'm going to go play with my kids in the park. So uh, I speak for my teammates with, with that quote. So we don't need no coach to inspire us. I know Towns is a good player, but, you know, we had a game plan for him. And, yes, you know, you want to force him left, but if he gets right, your teammates got to have your back. You got to help your team. It's the same way where if I get B and I want my teammate to be there, I got to be there for him. That's part of being on a string. And that's how you build a defensive mentality. And the league is fucking hard. It's hard to win. You know, we don't have the luxury of having, you know, that, that, that go-to guy like a, like a LeBron or Kawhi or a PG or a Jason Tatum or Luca. We got to win collectively. So those little things like with, with Towns or even with Anthony Edwards, we got to shrink and show bodies and make them second guess the move they're about to make. All right, just a few more. Uh, go to Brendan Nunez. Hey, Tristan. As one of those vocal leaders on this team, when a team's going through a skid like the Kings have recently, are you do you fall under more of a short-term memory, kind of come out the next one and do what we do well, or do you reflect hard on these uh, couple losses and focus on what you guys need to do better from pre- these previous games? I think it's a balance. I think at the end of the day, the reality of it is this road trip should have been a 4-0, point-bank period. I was going on this road trip, planning on going 4-0. The teams that we played against, OKC, they don't want to win games. They want to rebuild. Everyone fucking knows that. Uh, the Spurs, they have all young guys. They're trying to figure it out. They have, they have damn near eight guys that all play the same position. They're trying to figure it out. Would they Do they want to win games? Maybe, sure. But do they really want to be in the playoffs? Probably not. Probably want a top-10 pick. Uh, Timberwolves, they got names. But are they trying to win? Roll the dice, see what happens, figure out their roster. Detroit, they do not want to win. They want another top three, top five pick. And that's no disrespect to, to, the, to the players on their team. You know, they're going to play hard and give it everything they got. But at the end of the day, I know how this league works. and I know how the front office works. I can break down every front office and I know their mentality will coming into every season, especially after 20 games. So those teams, three out of the four teams really didn't want to win those games. They're probably pissed that we even won. 
that they won those games. You know what I'm saying? So tonight was another night. Like, th these are the games you have to win. Uh, if you're trying to be in the playoffs or be in a playing game, these are the wins that you have to capitalize on. Because, you know, when we get back home, you have Utah. You know, that's a, that's a you know, contender or a contending team in the West. You got Toronto that's playing well. Uh, you know, you got all these teams that are, that are, that are you know, quote-unquote playoff teams, and those will be tougher wins to get, and it'll be a tougher battle. So these teams, these, this four-game road trip was supposed to be a 4-0 worst-case scenario, 3-1. and one. And maybe the one game you do drop would have been tonight. So it, it's definitely disappointing. Um, I think, yes, you got to have short-term returns, but you can't keep harping on the past. I think the keys from this road trip is that you got to close out defensively. you got to string multiple stops. And you got to have each other's back. We got to be on a string and have a brotherhood. The offense is going to have the highs and lows. Who gives a shit? It's the NBA. But defensively, that's what matters. And I think that's what you have to learn on this road trip that defense is what's going to keep you in the game and give you a chance to win. And that's all you want at the end of the day. So if you're, if you're taking steps defensively, which like we did tonight, then you end up losing by, you know, 10 plus points to the Timberwolves. No disrespect to them. Give them credit. They played well, but that's unacceptable. Yeah, very well said by Tristan Thompson there. Um, you know, obviously a disappointing outcome and hopefully a lot of the annoyance that he shares from the four-game performance on this road trip that we just saw from the Kings against the level of opponents that he was just talking about, San Antonio, OKC, Detroit, and Minnesota is inspiring to the rest of the guys. Um, yeah, we'll kind of see how the rotation ends up playing out. Like I said, Walton said that we will probably see two more games of Metu starting and then they will reassess from there. But I kind of hope we can get some consistency with these lineups. I understand why Walton needs to finagle with things and try to figure it out though. He has, he's dealing with a very poorly constructed roster, lots of guards, but I almost wonder when do you just embrace that and understand that defensive rebounding might just not be a thing this team is decent at? Like they might just be really bad at that. And yeah, try to fully dive into some of your strengths of leak out a little bit in transition at times and get more transition opportunities because sometimes this team struggles in the half court on offense. So getting as many transition opportunities as possible could be beneficial. Um, but like finding a balance there, right? Because currently it's no leaking out at all. Everybody needs to be there to secure this rebound. And maybe I'm wrong here. Totally could be, but I almost wonder, do you reach a point where you're just like, this team's going to be bad at offense at, denying offensive rebounds, meaning securing defensive rebounds of their own. I don't know. So I understand Walton playing with lineups because of the roster that he is dealing with, but I almost wonder, like I said, when do you just embrace your weaknesses and really focus on capitalizing and optimizing what the strengths of the roster are? Before I get to the conversation with Dane Moore, who covers the Minnesota Timberwolves. I just want to touch on, I was going to say a few positives, but I really only have one. De'Aaron Fox, back in four. Four-game road trip. He's 
averaged 25 points, 6.3 assists, 2.5 rebounds, and 2.3 turnovers on 48.1% from the field, 33.3% from three, and 79.2% from the free throw line. That's on six free throw attempts per game. Fox looks back in stride. Um, On the other hand, Halliburton and Barnes have been quieter. Holmes has been a little quieter. And we've heard, I asked Walton about Barnes and does he feel like he needs to be more aggressive compared to what we saw earlier in the year? Because we've heard Walton talk about six three-point attempts per game per, for Barnes. And we've talked about, I've talked about it on this pod with myself and some other guests that Barnes's jump in attempts, both from the field and from three, led me to thinking that he could just really average more this year, that I thought he could be right around a 20-point-per-game scorer this season. But his... Field goal attempts have kind of come back down to what his prior averages were last year. And both for Barnes and Holmes, Walton has said that he needs to find a way to get them more opportunities. And maybe that's just Walton not wanting to throw it on the players and taking the blame himself. But yeah, we'll see. So positive. Fox looks back. No need to be concerned. I think that anybody that was kind of concerned about eight games or so of Fox was probably overreacting a little bit. I understand, understood that it was annoying, but Fox is still the same guy, I think is is really the point here. And it's just about all these other guys figuring out how to fit alongside each other. And that just gets more and more complicated with these constant roster changes and inconsistencies on who's playing on any given night, what sort of combinations we're seeing and things like that. So they are still sitting the Kings at six and nine, just half a game out of the 10th seed. So they've shown they can be better. You know, they're playing to the level of their competition right now, which is a complaint that we've heard the last couple of years now, but that means that they've played at the level of Utah, Phoenix, Golden State. So We know that that is possible. It's just about not playing to the level of Minnesota, San Antonio, OKC. So there is a better team in this roster that could end up actualizing. So next four games, they got a home stretch here. First Toronto on Friday, who is seven and eight. And then they have a back-to-back on Saturday versus Utah, who's sitting at nine and five. Tough, tough back-to-back there. And then they play Philly, who are 8-7 on Monday. Philly has a lot of injuries going on. Um, I'm pretty sure Embiid is going to be out. Ben Simmons is still probably in COVID. Or I'm not sorry, Ben Simmons not pro-COVID protocol. Obviously, people know the situation with Ben Simmons. Um, Thibel, I believe, is the one in COVID protocol. Danny Green has a lingering injury. I feel like I heard something about Tobias Harris. Um, I could be wrong on that one, but Philly does have a lot of injuries. They're playing on Monday. And then the final game of their upcoming homestand is versus Portland on Wednesday. Portland is sitting at eight and eight. So really, really tough stretch of these next four home games. And that's what makes these disappointing one and three road trip against subpar opponents. So hurtful that now you're playing some, high caliber opponents and coming away two and two feels like a pretty good outcome. And that would just leave the Kings sitting at eight and 11. So really hoping they can some, yeah, I don't know. 
three and one is a hefty ask here, but yeah, disappointing road trip. I really liked what Thompson had to say. Tired of hearing about the same issues over and over and over. And these lineup changes might be making things complicated, but I understand why Luke is trying things. So that's all the thoughts I got. Sorry if I rambled a little bit here. First time doing a solo segment this long in a while. So just going to get a little bit more used to this. But second half of the pod here is with Dane Moore, who covers the Minnesota Timberwolves and does the Dane Moore NBA podcast. Is also part of Blue Wire. Does a phenomenal job covering that team. If you're not following him, it's at Dane Moore NBA on Twitter. And anytime the Kings play a team that they're going to be rubbing shoulders with as playing competitors. I just did this with San Antonio on the last episode as well. I'm going to get a guest from who covers that team to kind of get some insight into how they have been performing, add some context to the recent performance, and then mainly talk about the trajectory of that team for that season and moving forward. And it's always interesting talking with Dane, having him on the pod, because there's so many parallels between Sacramento and Minnesota. You know, the playoff droughts, we talk about how Minnesota sold out in order to end their playoff drought and how that ended up backfiring. And then they got a little lucky with landing Anthony Edwards, but some of the pros and cons of chasing that end to a playoff drought. And also we give a little bit of a more optimistic perspective of, you know, these teams are very talented and they have options on directions that they can go in. I think that, the Kings can be a little bit more patient than a lot of people realize. And maybe that's what McNair is doing because we still don't know. And then we do close out with talking about how we view the play in picture this season with about 15 games under our belt. There's three teams we identify as what we view to be likely out of the playing competition. And then a tier of four teams fighting for to the nine and 10 spot in the play-in tournament. So without further ado, here is the conversation that I have with Dane Moore. All right, second segment of this pod here, we have Dane Moore of the Dane Moore NBA podcast who covers the Minnesota Timberwolves joining us here. Uh, We're actually recording this right after the Timberwolves and Kings just faced off and Minnesota came out on top. Um, how you feeling, Dane? I'm good, man. I'm kind of tired, but uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm like tired in advance because the Wolves have a back-to-back tomorrow. So it's like, you know, back and do it all over again. But it's what we were just talking about before we started recording. It's just, it's a, it's good to be back at the stadiums with fans and stuff there. And I don't know, just such a, such a different feeling to be covering these games in person now than, Last year, which I mean, we've talked about before, it was just so bizarre to be in an empty stadium watching these games. And it was pretty empty tonight. <laughs> it was pretty empty tonight. There wasn't a lot of energy in there for a Wolves-Kings game, but uh, it picked up a little bit late. So it was it was fun. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, yeah, it's been a rough stretch, I guess, for the Kings. The Kings home games have been a little empty as well. I'm sure there's a whole lot of factors um, with that. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm doing okay. The Kings, the Kings drop this one. They go one and three on a road trip that has Detroit, OKC, San Antonio, and then 
wrapped up in Minnesota. Uh, so about as good as I can be for those sort of results from Sacramento. Um, but, you know, first segment is going to be a lot of, uh, I'm recording this one prior to the first one that anybody listening just heard, but that'll be a lot of just talking about um, the Kings and their trends in general. And the idea for this one is to kind of check in with a team that is rubbing shoulders with the Kings in when it comes to their end of season goals, you know, the postseason tournament um, and just checking in on, on where they have been. So coming into this one, Dane, uh, the Timberwolves were four and nine. They had lost eight of their last nine against some, some high level opponents. Maybe there's one or two not Man. great caliber ones in there. Yeah. No, uh, man, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's been they, the Wolves have the worst strength of schedule, or like the however you say it, where they've played the easiest teams all year. And it's still, I mean, and the no offense, but you know, like Sack was in that too. And yeah. they, they played they played Sack tonight, they play San Antonio tomorrow, Memphis the next, New Orleans the next. Like the Wolves are in a spot where they need to be like, if you want to talk like the play it, like they need to start getting there now um and be close to 500, as I'm I'm sure you guys are thinking too with the Kings. The Wolves have not taken advantage of a early, you know, an easy schedule at the beginning. They're a bunch of home games. Like they get a win tonight, but it, it felt it felt in Wolves world like a game that they they like absolutely needed to win to continue to convince themselves that they're in that same yeah. conversation. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, probably a little more desperate for you guys, I would think. Um, or or for the Wolves. So coming into this, like I said, had lost eight of nine. I just kind of want to touch on the how the season had gone prior to this one before we dive into this a little bit and how you feel about it moving forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was surprised the team was, I mean, they've ranked really high defensively. I know they've been a little bit more willing to take risks and maybe that's shined in some areas and then led to other issues like we saw with the Sacramento's offensive rebounds tonight. Um, but yeah, that's what did you? Yeah, um, the every King, night, man. The I, I just found out so there was weird. a team worse than the Kings at uh, giving up opposing offensive rebounds. But yeah, oh, prior it, to this Kings game, kind of how do you feel about the Minnesota season and, and the start that they had gone through? Well, it, it's really kind of been interesting because the Wolves and the Kings have these past few years been on this same sort of track where they're, you know, at like maybe close to a top 10 offensive team, but probably going to finish in the bottom five defensively, right? Like that's, that's what these, these teams are. And the wolves come out the first five games of the season and they're second in defensive rating and ranking 23rd in offensive rating, which really in the Carl Anthony towns, there are like the wolves have kind of been like a walking top 10 offense. So it, it was, it's been very backwards of, you know, of what we expected. And, and a lot of that has to do with, as you mentioned, playing a more aggressive style defense. You see the bigs playing up at the level a lot more like you, like you saw cat doing tonight on some of those like Fox screens and those sort of thing, or that sort of thing. And just kind of, they just play this scrambling style of, of defense, which is something I was excited about just because the wolves have been in drop and just been getting beat up in that for years, like time after time. So it's been exciting that they've changed and the first five games were exciting that it was effective. But what's kind of transpired here is the calendar turned to November is the Wolves defense fell right back down to that bottom five, bottom eight level um, in, in the league. And it's a huge part of it has been that they can't rebound to save their life. I mean, they're just the smallest team in the league and, and they get 
they just get pulverized by, you know, aggressive guys like Tristan Thompson, uh, Rashawn Holmes, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, as I'm watching the first half tonight, I'm like, yep, here we go. Team that's playing big, playing physical is, you know, is is just going to win the second chance points battle by well, I mean, what did it end up being? I know at one point I looked at it, it was like 24 to 8. And, and you know, that's just that's just really hard to overcome a, a deficit in, in that area. So it's the defense has made strides, but it still has holes and the roster still feels a little broken given how small it is. Yeah, it's funny. It sounds like exact things that I've said when it comes to Kings games on this roster. Really? For you for you to sit here and be, yeah, the Kings, you know, a physical and taking advantage yeah. of rebounding just sounds so backwards. But, yeah, that, that happened for a little while. I mean, they only gave up 44 points to Minnesota in the first half of this one. Um, but then on the other side, because like you said, I think the defense was expected to be a little bit worse. You know, there was optimism after – what you pointed out of sawing, seeing in the first five games, maybe some new schemes and things like that. And it's kind of fell back down to what was expected. What about, what about the offensive end? Uh, you mentioned they struggled to start and obviously they have a lot of versatile pieces that didn't get many opportunities to play together last season, which I think people outside of Minnesota kind of overlook sometimes or tend to forget about. Um, but how have you kind of felt about how the offense has performed so far in Minnesota with that big trio? They're terrible, terrible at offense, which is which is a pretty wild development when you just look at the, yeah, you, you have like this roster was constructed to give up things defensively in order to be a top 10, maybe top five offense in the league when you have Carlton Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and Anthony Edwards, and they cannot find synergy to save their life in the half court. It's It's been so stagnant so problematic in you look at you know cleaning the glass or something splits up for for half court offense and they're down you know they're down with literally the I mean that's usually how it works the worst teams in the league can't really score there so it's the Houston's the, it's the Detroit's it's the whoever I don't know Sac- yeah, Sacramento's not far Sacramento's yeah, not exactly far. right so but you wouldn't think that with the Wolves even just cat right like even in the years where the Wolves have had way less talent around him than D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards, they've still found a way to be a good offensive team and they, they, they can't do it. And it's, it is a problem of like effectively sharing the ball tonight. It wasn't even that much tonight, but this is maybe the one game where you felt the, all three of the wolves, big three best offensive players all kind of get going at the same time a little bit in the fourth quarter there, they have not been able to do that all year. They've not been able to effectively like share the ball. So part of you goes like, Oh, you're optimistic. It's gonna, you know, it's going to come around because you have the offensive talent, but almost 15 games into the season and they are just, they're miles away from, from being a competent offense. And, and you don't really know like what's it going to look like when it when it does work um that's kind of i can't even like point to like oh this is the thing they do best offensively it's like no ant isolated cat just right. drove past through people it's there's it no these guys can't be guarded by chemezi metu yeah man chemezi like <laughs> so <laughs> you know i like chemezi like going back or maybe you even turned me on to him 
And I'm I'm watching the the Kings Thunder game, and I'm like, okay, did he just shoot three threes in the third quarter? And then he had that one like off the dribble 17 foot pull up, and I'm like, this is crazy because I think of Trebezi like Jared Vanderbilt, who's on the Wolves, who is literally exclusively and a very good one, a very good energy player. And I just going in my head of like, I can't imagine all of a sudden Vanderbilt like coming and pulling up off the dribble, but. Man, are they committed to playing him? Why doesn't Rashawn Holmes play more? Like that was clearly working tonight. I was just it was rotationally baffling from me from kind of afar of just like what's the plan here, Sacramento? Yeah, and I think that that's something that Walton is desperately trying to figure out. Like the whole thing is rebounding, is that closing possessions? I mean, defense in general. Um, but specifically with an emphasis on closing possessions with defensive rebounds, because they've been giving up a ridiculous amount of second chance opportunities to opponents. And, you know, he said pregame today, we were going to see a lot less three guard lineups, which less, I mean, there's only so much that Sacramento has to roll out three guard lineups with this roster construction, especially you're not playing Mo Harkless, um, which is coach's decision. He was totally available. You're not playing Terrence Davis. I mean, qualifies as a guard, I would say. Um, but, you know, we're not going to see Fox, Halliburton, Mitchell, the extreme like small three guard lineup for the sake of rebounding. Um, so then they go a little bit bigger and look towards Metu, who is more physical and athletic was Walton's wording for preferring him over Harkless. And he said he was going to give Metu about five games in this starting lineup. This was the third before he kind of reassessed how it went. Hmm. Um, and yeah, like you said, the, the offensive versatility flashes from Metu have been surprising to me. Like I was a guy that was kind of against the idea or skeptical of the idea of him being a four last season. I, I kind of was aboard thinking that this guy's a five, uh, probably most ideally. And, and to his credit, he clearly is a four, at least on the offensive end. Um, very confident from three, even if they're not going down all the time, like the shot looks fine. Um, but yeah, defensively, I mean, the entire thing is just so much emphasis on defensive rebounding. The rotations have been so better, but better from like second worst defensive rating of all time last year. You know, it's like a low bar to grow from. Um, but what's interesting to me is, so the Wolves are literally having the same problem, but Chris Finch is taking a completely different tactic. His his idea is that what he would do, I feel confident in saying, is he would play the three guard lineup and he would just say, "We have those guys have to rebound," and that's kind of what like the Wolves have done. They've gone, they they've stayed small. They they don't, you know, they haven't overreacted to address a need. Which I'm not saying I I don't know I don't know if one's right or wrong. It's it's just we have two coaches with the same problem doing different things and what the wolves have done. I mean, they, they're the worst rebounding team in the NBA and, and they're just trying to make up for it elsewhere by playing these, the smaller guys that, you know, get turnovers. The wolves lead the league and turn turnover turnovers drawn in terms of frequency. And so it's like, it's these, it's these other tactics to kind of compensate for the, for the main issue which is which is interesting, and while the Wolves can't rebound, what they do well, if you look at it statistically, is another guy like you know Tristan Thompson gets the offensive rebound, they swarm him, and and opponents have one of the worst 
field goal percentage on putbacks against the Wolves, which I think mm-hmm. is also like a kind of an interesting, like, like obviously the best thing is be a good rebounding team, but right. you can't like, sometimes you just write you, like you guys have the same problem. You don't have the personnel to be able to do it. So it it's just, uh, it's, it's interesting to me that Walton hearing you say that, that Walton is like, well, I just need to do more size. Cause that's the opposite of what Chris Finch is doing. Yeah. That is interesting. And, and the other aspect you mentioned, um, the, the steals that Minnesota is, or the turnovers that they're causing from opponents. And we're not seeing this from the Kings, which I don't understand. Like if you're having these pesky guards, you're not exactly a good defensive team, especially when it comes to your perimeter containment and rotations have been cleaned up a little bit. Like some of your, your help men are, are improved there. I think this year, but defensive uh i mean perimeter containment is really your issue here and i almost wish like it's fox and halliburton two guys at least fox is very quick and i think jumping passing lanes is something that could work well for him or just being pesky um and then when it comes to halliburton halliburton doesn't quite have the athleticism but he has the length and great basketball iq like i almost wish these guys were enabled a little bit more to take some risks but it seems like there's more of a focus on trying to get the fundamental set in place of, you know, this is strictly how there's, this is undebatable how we go about things and we need to clean up these small areas rather than like you're saying, maybe or the impression I'm getting from what you're saying is Minnesota instead, like, okay, we're not going to be good in this aspect, but this is where we can excel. Um, And yeah, I mean, I partially get why Walton maybe looks at it and is like, well, we do have some guys on the roster that can fix this issue, but at the same time, do I want Chemezi Metu starting 80 games in the year? No. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think like when you roll out three guards in Sacramento, I mean, Buddy Heald is is probably the exception to this, but I think the three-guard lineup everyone thinks of is Fox, Halliburton, and Mitchell. Like Mitchell isn't out there for offensive purposes. He's out there for defensive, which is where the whole roster construction complication comes in. You know, like, Credit to McNair for being willing to take what they are saying they viewed as best player available. I think they must have with the roster um, questions bringing him into alongside Fox and Halliburton. I mean, that's something, you know, I think fan bases and people preach all the time that you should do. And it's a lot more difficult said than done. Um, So credit to him for doing that. But it's just like, where are you going to find the opportunity to capitalize on a 6-1 guard whose best aspect is the defensive side of the floor when maybe your two best players outside of him are also six three or shorter um so i think that just like if the idea is you're throwing out a three guard lineup and one of them is defensive focused the the last of the three it's just not exactly filling what is going to idealize davion mitchell and then you're not also creating an advantage on the offensive end because the issue we've seen recently, the Kings have these horrible lulls um, throughout quarters or maybe eight-minute stretches. They didn't play great in the first quarter of this one against Minnesota, but uh, I think a decent amount of it was shots not falling, which is a whole other thing. They don't have a great amount of shooters on this roster. Um, but there's just not enough playmaking. And you're rolling out a handful of guards, and you don't have enough playmaking for others alongside you. So I think it's it's this weird balance of, I mean, not even a balance, right? Like it's, you are sacrificing the defensive end if you throw your three guards out there, but then you're not even gaining much of an advantage on the offensive end. So I think that like Walton maybe could lean more into um, causing havoc in a 
similar to kind of what we've seen with Minnesota. But at the same time, I think the hand he is dealt with a really lopsided roster does cause complications that I think, like, I understand the criticism of Walton, but I think more needs to be placed on the roster that he's working with at times. Well, that's what I was going to say is that it's such an interesting, like, question of what is the cost of putting together an imbalanced roster? You know, you're going to, you're going to deal with negative externalities of that, like in the immediate of we, we can't play our best players at the same time because there's overlaps or underlaps here and there. But what I have found myself wondering about the Timberwolves is you have this roster that's clearly doesn't have the, like the right balance of positions and, and players or too many guys who are all offense or too many guys who are all defense. And I, what I wonder is, you know, what's the cost of, you know, incubating an Anthony Edwards in that environment. It's not a real one, right? Like what's the cost of that for Tyrese Halliburton, for Davion Mitchell, you know, if they are being raised in a system, a style of play that they're not going to, that the next good Sacramento Kings team, right. Is going to play in like, what are you doing? And I, 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 and I don't know. I, I don't know how big the opportunity cost there is, but I, I find myself with the Timberwolves asking that a lot of, you know, how, you know, you have to change the roster. How soon, like how much of a sense of urgency do you need to have to, to, to do that now? Because again, the next good Timberwolves team is not going to look like this. And you're also kind of setting your guys up for failure. I, I've been thinking about it with Chris Finch a lot, who's, you know, new, he's got a really, you know, a lot of people here really like him. And a and lot now, of whispers, you know, by the way, that if like Finch was available last off season, the Walton situation would have gone differently. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Well, the Houston, you know, the Houston connection, right. <laughs> we're, we're right. brothers of the Houston tree here <laughs> in the teams we cover. Yeah. No, I mean, he's, a, and I, I, I'm a Finch guy. I think he's, I think he's a good coach, but what you're, you're setting him up to, to kind of, you know, how, how can he even solve this puzzle? Is this puzzle solvable or, or can, is it not even possible to be a 500 win, a 500 winning percentage team, given the imbalance that you have, and, and if it isn't now, you know, now Chris Finch's perception has taken a hit and the whole sort of vibe of everything is, is taking a hit. I, I, I don't know. I, I Because the idea is they're, they're talented enough, but the question yeah. really should be, are they balanced enough with the talent that they have? Right. You need both, right. You, you need both. And to so idealize you your talent. Yeah. 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 And so I find myself a lot of time being like, this all kind of feels like a waste of, of that talent. Because I don't believe with a roster constructed in an imbalanced way that like you're, you're going to grow, which, which I'm with you on the best player available sort of thing with draft in theory, but this is the case against it, right? Like, right. Is that, is that Davion isn't getting the opportunity to be that best player that, you know, that, that he was. So it's interesting. I, again, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's kind of worth acknowledging what those, what those costs are along the way yeah and you talk about potentially needing to make a change maybe substantial maybe it's it's more of like a starter level rather than all-star level change let's say um but 
I think from Sacramento's point of view, if things continue to trend negatively, you know, there was a really good feeling to start the year. They played some high level opponents were really competitive in a lot of those games. Um, I want to say it was their first nine. They in eight of those nine, they were playing clutch minutes, you know, within five points in the last five minutes. Um, there was no game that they lost that they were just didn't have a chance in against high caliber opponents. And obviously things went off the rails really quickly. I think that we can see things kind of come back around to feeling okay fairly quickly, quickly as well. You know, things change fast in the NBA, um, but this is the year like the Kings need to make the playoffs. So we've seen that they're not, if it continues to go off the rails, we saw two nine game losing streaks last year. If we get anywhere near that, which we are getting close to, there's just one win against the freaking Detroit Pistons in the middle of this, um, then there's going to be a big change needed. And you know, the two option, the two, conventional I think ways to kind of look at it is either you're gonna uproot all of this and something needs to change maybe it's you know you need to move on from Fox because the rest of the young guys when you're looking at Halliburton Mitchell are um, and I guess that's kind of it for the most part are young and then you can sell off some of these other pieces as well that'll have value or you need to find a way to maybe move on from some a handful of future draft picks and one of these, maybe one of the three guards find a roster balance and really push for still making something happen right now. And between the two options, Sacramento like very, very often chooses the latter. Um, They're shown they're not really, at least from what we've seen, willing to take a step back and maybe just focus on acquiring talent through, through the draft or just developing young guys with the cost of winning games. Um, So, long-winded way of me saying that I think Sacramento clearly if things go wrong in my mind are out there making a big trade for a star borderline star player um, whatever's available you know Ben Simmons is talked about a lot say Brandon Ingram sort of thing Christian Wood like I, I think that Sacramento if things go off the rails are need to make a move this year you know Walton could be could be moved on from, but McNair's time is just starting to slowly wind down. And in Minnesota, obviously it's a little different. Like Rosas has, there was a complicated situation and he's moved on from right now. Sasha Gupta is currently in charge. I don't know if there's been any talk of him potentially sticking around or anything like that, but if things kind of continue to go downwards for Minnesota this year, do you feel like they're a team that like, has to make something happen this year with the roster that they have going on? I I don't think the roster is what gets you to feel like something has to happen right now because I think ultimately, like, the roster is is Anthony Edwards, and you do have, you do, you do have, you have time there, right, um, to either make it work with Cat or eventually to, you know, move on from cat or he decides to move when he decides he wants to move on to, to kind of put, put things around him in that sort of way. There's not a lot of like, there's not a lot of room or ways to add to this, to this team right now. Like the the Ben Simmons thing, obviously the wolves, like the Kings are a, a team whose name comes up a lot in that, but like what, if you're the wolves, are you giving up for Ben Simmons? He's, you know, or what is Philadelphia? What would Philadelphia be be interested in? And and that's a 
I mean, the answer is like Anthony Edwards and that, you know, that's not going to happen. Right. So it, it kind of just feels like a wall uh, that, that you run into there. But I think the people who feel the urgency to do something or it makes sense to me would be Sachin Gupta who wants to, you know, show that he deserves the job and keep the job. I mean, I feel like if he does trade for Ben Simmons and quote unquote overpay for him, you know, you're probably gonna get some time, right. To, you know, to build that out. But is, is that the right, is that the right move given that you have this 20 year old player who you have a lot of time left to, right. to let him, you know, become whoever, whoever he's going to become. So I, I don't think the roster like begs for it to be added to. It's honestly, it's kind of like, I hear you saying that about the Sacramento Kings and adding something like a Christian Wood. I go, okay, does that make them better? Sure. But what, like, I'm not scared of the Sacramento Kings if they have, if Christian Wood on their team, right. it just doesn't, it doesn't just, again, from, like, no disrespect, but just like from afar, I'm not like, okay, now they're good. Right. I, I, right. Like, it, it feels kind of to me like for both of these teams, what the eventual best answer is, is probably having a long view and, and, you know, gradually getting to a point where Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Edwards have become established players in the NBA. And when you hit that point, like then it's go time. That's a ways away, I think. And, and um, is that you just like having a comfort with whatever happens with cat sort of thing? Yeah, I, I view it as like, a, I view it as a kind of a good place to be actually, because, you know, if Cat stays, um, you have Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, and those are two, you know, good, you know, very good players in, in their own right. And you're, you're building around them. But so, so that's like the, that's the floor. I, I also think that, or I don't know, the minimum or the status quo, you could also trade Cat and get a ton for him. And in, in both of those scenarios, you still have Anthony Edwards and you have really good pieces that you're going to be able to put around him. They're just, neither of those are immediately exciting in, in what they're going to, you know, what they're going to present. But I, I don't know a, a team like Sacramento or like Minnesota, we, those franchises spend all this time, like toiling on the treadmill of mediocrity towards kind of nothingness. Cause they don't, they it's when you look a year or two years ahead, there's not that much to be excited about. Like with Anthony Edwards, I think there's at least a chance that he's on. I don't want to say like a Luka Doncic trajectory because that's a really high bar, but like all he could be that guy. Yeah, yeah. He could be that guy. And um, I just, what I've come to grips to is that that's probably going to take a, a few years and you don't have a few years with Cat. Like it's decision time this summer uh, with Carl Anthony Towns. It's it looks like he has three years left on his contract, but he's up for that that big contract extension mm. two years before the same one. You know, Damian Lillard signed the same exact one that Joel Embiid signed last year. So, like he's going to either sign that this summer or he's not, and that's going to. And if he doesn't, that's going to probably lead to to moving on and, and taking another path. I, I think for Wolves fans, like neither of those are that bad of of paths forward and quite frankly better than a lot of the paths they've been on for the past 20 years yeah yeah it's interesting to kind of draw parallels like obviously Halliburton is the Anthony Edwards here and I think the question of his ceiling is a lot more complicated um yeah there's been 
I think growing pains of him and Fox getting comfortable spending a lot of time on the floor together this year. There's a lot of your turn, my turn. Um, it, it seems like from my point of view, there's a change to Halliburton trying to expand his game this year, but that's taking him away from what made him a hyper-efficient, like elite role player last year, where the wording I use so often was that he's great at capitalizing on adv- advantageous situations, but he's not good at creating the advantage. And this year, he's trying to do the latter even more, which is useful for his potential ceiling, but is not exactly leading to the best results currently. Um, and then, but there is a ceiling there that, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it all NBA. It's like all-star ceiling, right? Which even then I have questions. It, it's certainly possible, but it feels more likely. I mean, I think his floor is also very high of like elite role player, but that's not like your core building block moving forward sort of level. That's um, the difference player. between him and Ant. Yeah. Right. And yeah, return for Fox and Cat. I mean, I guess either way, like you're still getting a, a ridiculous return for De'Aaron Fox. So I shouldn't downplay that. And and I think some of the complimentary guys like Rashawn Holmes is signed one of the best in, in my mind, one of the best center contracts on the market now this past offseason. Harrison Barnes has two years left. Um I want to say 20 million this year, 18 the year after. We saw a lot of interest for him last offseason. So, I mean, if you kind of went through, maybe you can get something for Buddy Heald. We almost saw Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harrell. Um, if you went through the entire roster and decided to reset, like you have pieces that you're working with. It's just that. I yeah, mean, don't I mean, you think that that's what they're doing or going to do? Like, I, they just have I mean, done. Like, I feel like they would have done that. Yeah, in in my mind, the time the to do that was thing. last year. I think he's just biding his time, man. Monty's just biding his time. That's and I think Gupta's going to do the same thing in Minnesota. It's like wait, you know, wait for it. Have the long view. Like you don't need to and go all in right now. That's waiting for someone to become available. No, no, that's waiting for somebody to pay up for Barnes mm-hmm. and pay up for Holmes. And I know it might feel like you need it now so as to compete now, but if you if you change your reset your goals from being a playoff team now and, and adjust them to, you know, being a really good team three years from now, then I think, I I don't know. I I think you could, you could shape a nice picture for the Kings. And I would imagine that the guys of Monty and Suchins, like the way, the way they think, I believe is, is that more long-term view and they kind of just say the got to make the playoff stuff for optics. Like, right. You have to think Monty you McNair, for 15 years. You have to say that here. Yeah. You, oh, you have to say it, but he's smart enough to know that it's like, look at like, where are we going? Like, okay, cool. Made the playoffs. And I like, that's nice. And it's, it is important for the fan base. I mean, the Wolves is the same thing. Wolves had made the playoffs in 14 years right. and they made it that one Jimmy Butler year. And, you know, what did that ultimately mean? Right. They went. They made the move you're talking about making. They made the the Christian Wood move for Jimmy Butler, and it made a difference. They got they won 47 games or whatever they did, and they made the eighth seed. Like woo, got smacked by the Rockets. Jimmy left. You then you went back to being the worst team in the NBA again. And fortunately, you got lucky and you got Anthony Edwards. I just I don't know having lived through the team that went and bought an all-star when their other 
star player was only 21, like Cat was at the time, 22 maybe. Like, it wasn't ultimately a good investment. And the Wolves have been scrambling to get back out of that since. Does part of it feel like a little bit of an outlier, though? Like, because it was working, but it was like a clash of personalities, no? Where if Jimmy would have been willing to stick around or... Yeah, but I mean that's part of the risk. Like you right. don't know that it, you don't know that it's gonna work with right. Darren Fox and Tyrese Halberton and All Star X. Like if to use the Simmons example, works. we hear a bunch of the Kings sorry to cut you off. Um we hear the Kings a bunch talking about lack of physicality, a lack of um a lack of like fire on the court. And what are the issues we hear with Simmons? You know, for example, yeah. if that's the guy you're chasing after, right? I just, yeah. Does, I don't think that's the move for the Kings, man. I don't. Like, because I don't think the rest of the roster is good enough right now. Yeah. I, and I think the same thing, you know, with the Wolves. And it's, not, I mean, obviously the counter argument with Simmons is he he is young himself. He's not that, he's not in all that different of an age bracket than, you know, De'Aaron or even Tyrese. But what like how good are the Kings if they get Ben Simmons? I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, maybe I'm bagging on them too much. Like, how good do you think they are? Yeah, I mean, obviously def- depends what you give up, but yeah, I mean, it's still probably seven seed, you know. Um, but yeah, then the so idea why? is that there's so kind of room to grow from there with that trio to the fifth seed to the fourth right. seed. Well, right. it, it becomes a question of what's the ultimate goal? Is the goal to you know, to be a playoff team, maybe a team who gets to the second round, like you're just probably not going farther than that with De'Aaron Fox, Ben Simmons, and Tyrese Halliburton in the next two years. So I would just, if it were me, I would just wait until De'Aaron Fox has hopefully gotten even better, gets to an all-star level himself. Tyrese Halliburton has better optimized himself and then go get the next Ben Simmons. Right. Like, it's not like it's going to be cheaper or more. It, they they they'll present themselves over the you know over the course of time, and like that takes some faith. And you know, it's not like they grow on trees. But I just wouldn't. I don't know. I feel the same way as the wolves. I don't know if it if what when you're this, we watch that game tonight. We watch these two teams play each other. So bad first half. So oh god. They're bad teams, both of them. And putting one all-star on either of these teams of Ben Simmons's caliber, I just don't think monumentally changes how much better they are, but more importantly, changes the trajectory of the roster in the next 12, 18 months. I, I, I don't. You need to start trajecting yourself and then add to it, like... Uh, that's how I feel for both of these teams. And I think with Ant, you have time to wait on that. And with Tyrese, you have some time to wait. And how many years does De'Aaron have left? He's one year. He just is starting this year. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's the same. That's the same place where the Wolves were with with Cat when Rosas took over in, in 2018. Like, you've got a ton of time there. you got a yeah. ton of time. And, yeah. And, like, yes, eventually maybe De'Aaron's going to want that extension or maybe maybe he'll be a played all the way out and then make a decision. God, that's five years. Right. That's five years. I, I just we get we get caught in the, the cycle of it, and I do too, of like gotta make the playoffs now, gotta do this and that. But 
again, just having lived through the Jimmy Butler thing and being like, Ooh, we did it. We got the guy. Right. I don't know. Even if the personalities would have meshed better, I don't think that team was, you know, was going to monumentally change who it was in another 12 or 24 months. I just, I don't. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, the idea of like a Simmons, let's, let's use Simmons as the example. Let's say it's healed Bagley, Davion and two firsts in a swap. Simmons um then the idea is that you're working with Fox Halliburton and Simmons and then there's a world where you can create max cap space this offseason and add another guy to it um there's not great names out there there's not great names out there but like I think that's the idea of you know you become appealing to bring in another caliber uh another player of similar caliber um but that's no, more I'm... intriguing. That's more intriguing because the wolves don't have that. Like they're already up against the luxury tax right now with this, you know, with this team as is. Like they, they will not have. If they get Ben Simmons, they will be in an even worse financial situation. So having not have the, the Kings like books in front of me, that's you know, that makes the fact that Ben still has three years left on his contract, and all of that a little bit you know more attractive, but. Right. Still, it, it leads what, back what to you're saying of resetting, though, or not resetting, but like optimizing on the assets that you have and understanding the timeline of your core pieces that you still can be patient. I think like something that we've heard preached a lot. I mean, probably listeners here have heard preached a lot. Like last year, it seemed very split between a lot of people of do they continue to chase for this new play in spot or should they? ship off somebody like Barnes and anybody else who could be possibly interested. Why is the play-in spot cool? That's, that's the same thing I, I asked myself with the Timberwolves. because that's It's like not. Like, goal. if this play-in spot didn't exist, how different would we feel about the team right now? And the answer is well, you I, shouldn't I feel, feel that much different. different. I, I would feel no different because I don't think it's any accomplishment for any team ever to be the 10 seed in their conference. That means right. you're worse than two-thirds of the team in the NBA. Like, right. that. that's like a place – like the Hornets last year are a perfect example of that. Like you exceeded expectations to, you know, to get there. You're a team that's young and building multiple years down the road. It's like a little bit of uh it's a small reward for your work towards the goal you were already going for anyways. But if you're like the idea to me of like trading future value so as to bring it into the now and get you to the, 10 or nine seed in the Western conference. Like, what are you doing? I, I don't, I don't, it doesn't line. It doesn't line up for me. Cause one, you're probably not going to win that you're playing. Probably not. Like it's hard to, to win the two or however it works. And then cool. Here you go. Like you gotta play the one seed. Right. Great. I, I, right. I, I'm just saying from the wolves perspective, man, they made it one year after being out of the playoffs, just as long as the Kings have, and they got smacked by the Rockets, and nothing. Things just got worse from there. Yeah, yeah. No, totally understandable. And I think that um, it's just that we've seemingly been given this idea that it's like the focus is making it happen right now. Um, to me, like you know, I think the idea is like, oh, Barnes would have been moved last off season. There was interest, but at the same time, we can't possibly know what the offers were. And like you mentioned. Uh, 
maybe it's a situation where just didn't feel like there was good enough value. There would be something better down the line. Well, Barnes that there's going to be the same value. Year. That's why I always thought with Barnes is it's like, well, you can wait a year and get the same value and keep your team. Like have, I mean, Barnes is, you know, a really good player to have in that role. So yeah. if it's going to get you whatever, two lottery protected firsts in 2020 or, or yeah, 2021 versus 2022, like same, same value, you know what I right. mean? Like, so I, I don't know, maybe I'm off on that and, th- and that it would be, would have been my, my only difference between like last year would be just that you're more sellers than buyers at the deadline. Like they didn't spend much at all to get Harkless and, um, and Terrence Davis. It was very minimal, but like the fact that if you would have not done those moves and moved on from Harrison Barnes, you're losing a few more games that year. So you're increasing your draft pick that season. Like to me, it was like last year, was and this is probably just my own timeline. I have a couple of people that probably felt similar, but who knows that McNair has the same idea, right? Um, but to me, it was like last year is the year where I thought that you could understandably be a bottom five team and acquire a really high caliber talent via the draft to add to Fox and Halliburton and moving well, on. Then from the Warren, best player available becomes, you know, if they're applying that same thought process then the best player available becomes Franz Wagner rather than Davion Mitchell you know what I mean and Franz Wagner fits this roster a lot better as just like an archetype of a player right than than Mitchell yeah. not to rip on Mitchell but you know what I mean it's just like yeah yeah you you, you kind of stumble into that understandably as I think you put it and now the best player available is not a better is now not only a better player but a player who fits the roster a little right better right. so yeah, those, yeah, I think those moves always age poorly of like, oh, we're going to just try and get a little bit better at the deadline so we can become the nine seed. Like, what's yeah. the example of that? And you're like, nice. You got Evan Fournier. Right. You did it. You right. know, like, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think the Kings are in a position where they could kind of go either way, like you're saying, and playing it patient, focusing on the timelines of Fox and Halliburton makes sense. I just think we haven't been giving the impression that the specifically the ownership is willing to do that to be patient. Um, yeah, that's the part I don't get. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm viewing it as, you know, somebody who's popping in on just thinking, watch, having watched the, you know, the, the team tonight. And, and those as what I've learned from, you know, covering the league, covering this team for a while is, is those factors are so much bigger than I, than I realized. So I do understand you got to battle some of those, those things, the ownership, the GMs trying to keep their job, all those that that messes with timelines more than anything. And and sometimes they're immovable hindrances that ultimately make you have to take that path. Yeah. And it's hard for any of us or any any fans, obviously, to know the complications that go on behind the scenes and everything that kind of goes into this decision making process. But right. yeah, I mean, there's there's okay young talent on this team. Like they're certainly not in positions of i don't know post boogie but then also before De'Aaron fox came around like the kings have been in worse situations than what they're looking at right now um and what yeah, they're looking dude, at after... fox with five years on his contract you got tyrus halberton was a, a pick you nailed davion still looks really good yeah I, I i said the franz wagner thing but it doesn't mean that davion given where they were wasn't the best player available and a and a good pick there it like right it, yeah, you got a ton of that. It's kind of like the thing I'm talking about with the Wolves is like this bad scenario still has a lot of good things 
in place, you know, and again, for us who have followed Minnesota and Sacramento for a long time, they're teams who have, like you said, the post boogie era, the Wolves had, you know, post Kevin Love era, post Jimmy Butler era, it's the same shit. Like, right. And uh, yeah, it, I, I think you should be optimistic about both these teams, even though they both stink right now. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I feel I do feel decent about this season, even though it's been it's just a roller coaster of emotions, you know, after a good start and then to blow a game against OKC who's yeah, anyways. Um yeah, I will watch that one. That was not not oh not Sack's best work. <laughs> yeah, no. But well, they're sitting here. You could have beat they should have beat the Wolves, man. They should have should have won that game. They should have won that game. Like, and, and it's the Wolves the were same messing around the whole time. Issues. Yeah, same issues over and over. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. If you want to be a playoff team, if that is your goal and that's your plan, I mean, we're 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 just talking about like more theoretically big picture GM chair, but it is a different thing when you're in Luke Walton's chair or you're in the players' chair. You're like you're trying to win now, and yeah, that that in Minnesota, that's the cat chair, that's the Chris Finch chair, and you're not doing it, and that is the roller coaster of emotions because you're like, no, you're you're talking this big game of being a playoff team. And you don't look anything close to it. You have a roster that doesn't synergize and you lose to teams that you should beat all the time. Like if you were, if you were what you were saying you are as the Kings come in here and beat the beat a Wolves team that doesn't have itself figured out yet. And the same goes for the Wolves. They've lost the magic at home. They've lost the Pelicans at home. They've, and and they've then they go the and beat the teams that they shouldn't, right? Like they Wolves beat Milwaukee this year. Yeah, but Milwaukee didn't have Drew or Brooke Lopez, and they were right. playing all the like. I don't know. I the Wolves' season, in my opinion, has not been all that impressive. Um, yeah. In 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 terms of what they've been able to put together, but again, the thing we're aiming at is not a high ball that Sacramento and Minnesota is aiming at. It's the ten right. seed. You're aiming at being worse than two thirds of the teams in the league. Yeah, like, I've just been like, you just need five teams in the West to be, you just need to be better than five teams. And three of them are horrible. Yeah. So, so how do we think, how do you think it's going to end up shaking out? Like, so Houston. This is what I wanted to close with. New Orleans is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Houston and New Orleans. Houston and New Orleans. Um, I mean, Zion like scheduled to, who knows? I guess there's no schedule. Yeah. No canning on Zion right now. Right. Yeah. Okay. See, I mean, Doing okay right now, but they're going to slow we'll down. Figure out a way to suck. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. After that, you're at the you're at our tier, right? San Antonio, Minnesota, mm-hmm. Sacramento. Maybe Memphis is probably the top right. of that. Which is funny because the Wolves' three games right now are literally Sac, San Antonio, Memphis, mm. and then they go. Then they play New Orleans. Yeah. Like in Memphis, you want to be doing... you want to be better than those teams. Like you beat them. You know you right. got to. Yeah, the Kings but. took care. Yeah, Kings took care of business against New Orleans, but New Orleans does not look like that. That's much of anything right now. Yeah. So from your point of view, like I think the Kings are in a decent position to find that ten seed, right? They they need to be the team between if we're counting out New Orleans, Houston, and OKC, then they need to be better than. San Antonio Mem- and the Wolves. San Antonio, the Wolves, and Memphis. Yeah, out, no, out of that group no, no, of they four, the they only need to be better than one of them. 
Yeah. No, I'm sorry. They need to be yeah. better than two of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we probably put Memphis again at the top of that. Probably better than all of them. So really, right. all Sacramento needs to do is be better than San Antonio and Minnesota. Right. Right. That's not in, a high bar. Yeah, I, I think San Antonio is a worse, worse talent level than the two teams that we cover, but obviously mm-hmm. much better coach, especially I would say from Sacramento's point yeah. of view. Um, Fench is kind of still TBD, right? But yeah, I mean, in your mind, because to me, I think the 10 seed is still really likely for the Sacramento Kings team. Um, from Minnesota's point of view, I mean, do you where, where should, do you Minnesota should be better than Sacramento? Like, and we're talking about how both these teams stunk tonight, but it's like, it's very apparent that Minnesota has more talent than Sacramento does. Yeah. Not, not that they're putting it together. Well, not that they're a, even a, a better, I'm not even saying they're a better team now, but if we like, if we Top assume, yeah, it, well, if we just assume like realistic progression over the type of year guy, like if Sacramento improves 15% and Minnesota improves 15% over the course of the year, like, I think I think I don't know this weird way to put it, but I think like for Sacramento, that fifteen percent would look like more linear, and Minnesota's would look more exponential. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Kind of given that that top end talent, because I think the Wolves with Cat, D'Angelo, and Ant, like they they have a they have a group where they can have a month where they're a top five offense. I, I think, and, and you know, Sac, I, I shouldn't say they they can't because they pretty much this group right showed that they had stretches like that last year or, or close to it. Yeah. I think um, they were sitting at fifth in offensive rating going into this one. Really? Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. Sacramento wasn't. I think that they were I looked at ninth. I'm pretty sure, I guess it's, we're at the point where like cleaning the glass versus NBA.com are right. two very different stories right now. Very different. Yeah. And each game causes so yeah. much fluctuation still. Yeah. True. True. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I think the wolves like Sacramento are going to be trying like, the Wolves aren't going to randomly start tanking. That's not that will not happen this year. So they they are not going to go quietly into the night. Um, but so so yeah. So I think that's it. They present a threat to Sacramento to that end. And, and quite frankly, like Wolves just should be better. They have shown that they can be a competent defensive team, and they do have this offensive upside. So mix competent defense with top 10, top five offensive for, for, for streaks. Like that team needs to be better than the Kings and quite frankly should be better than Memphis. Now, do I believe that's going to happen? No, No. because I've watched this team for 14 games now and I, they don't do it all. They haven't done it all at once, like ever in, in, in any game. So I don't know. It, It seems very theoretical to me. So if I was a Sacramento fan, I wouldn't be scared. You would the present the exact same formula that you just presented for Minnesota, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, right. So with the same concerns. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to fighting for the 10 seat. <laughs> <laughs> Which neither of us think is basically a participation trophy this year. But yeah. it would it does matter. And like when you isolate, you know, for the year and for the players and, and for the fan base, quite frankly, like. You know, I, 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 I do get wanting that, and that's what you are aiming at right now. I just don't know big picture how ultimately, you know, how, how ultimately valuable it is. But we're not in big picture mode right now. We're in – it's the season, like, go win games. 
And um, I I think the Wolves should be able to win more than Sacramento. But they are not a team that like inspires you to have a lot of belief that they're going to even reach expectations. So it's a, it's a, it's a pretty open question, I think of, of, of where the wolves will ultimately be and how much of a threat they'll present to threat. I say in like heavy air quotes to the teams like San Antonio and Sacramento and Memphis, because (laughs) they're at best a question mark right now. And at worst, a team that just kind of feels a little broken and probably needs a change. So, I don't know. I guess we'll we'll have to see what it looks like next time these these two teams meet, and I, it'll it'll have changed um, by by that time to some extent, for better or worse, for both teams. But I, I'm honestly I'm sitting here coming home from having watched that in person, and I'm like, those are not playoff teams. Those aren't. No. Those are not play in teams. They a, a good team a good team just. Doesn't start to the Kings or Wolves. Oh, maybe, maybe that too. Maybe I like Matthew. I don't. I don't mean to bag on him, but well, it's it's the same. No, the Wolves have the same thing at power forward, where they're they're starting guys like Josh Kogi or Jared Vanderbilt at power forward, and you're like, man, love this energy guy off the bench. Like, does a lot of like fun little role player things, but then you know when they got to play 30 minutes a night and provide floor spacing for Cat, that's not you know that's just not yeah. their game. This was just Mo Harkless, and all of a sudden he gets back-to-back DNPs. So, yeah, it's a complicated situation at the wing. So, Hey, Bagley's back, though, baby. Apparently, apparently, we need rebounding, and I guess that's something that he should be good at. So, Apparently yeah. not good at layups. No, yeah, that's a yeah, it's a work in progress. <laughs> he's huge, though, man. I, I was like, he, when he's out on the floor tonight, like – He's far and away the biggest player on the floor. Like he's way bigger than Cat, which mm. is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wonder what the value on that is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hopefully high. Hopefully. High. <laughs> right. I'll tell you, man, I get I get emails. I get emails and DMs and stuff all the time. People being like, Wolves need a power forward. Bagley's just sitting there. Number two overall pick. On a team that needs value. a power forward. <laughs> like, yeah. You mean he's not playing for a team that needs a power forward right now. Right. Like, and he is yeah. offense, exclusively offense. Yeah. And even then, yeah. Yeah. Sporadically. So, right. <laughs> yeah. It's always interesting when we talk to in all the parallels that always we seem to be able to draw between these teams. And um, we didn't even compare Luke Walton to Ryan Saunders as. No, we didn't. The, the, the two-year – it's the same playbook, man. It's the same, I watched it. Gerson Rosas, Monty McNair, both from Houston. It's the same thing. couple of years, leave them in there. Let them accrue the losses, the bad juju. Cut it off. Bring somebody else in when the team's ready to be good. Now, Rosas' mistake was he thought the Wolves were ready to be good when he brought in Chris Finch, which is proving to be a little ill-advised. But, that I mean, that's what I think is going on with Walton. It's, it's like – Eventually, McNair's going to bring in his guy, and he's just letting Walton kind of be the sin eater in, right. in the meantime, which is exactly what happened with Ryan Saunders. Yeah, I definitely could see it. Definitely could. So, all right, Dan, I don't want to keep you longer, man. It's late over there for you. Um, it is. <laughs> anybody? It's good chatting, though. Yeah, I appreciate you staying up for me, man. Um, it's at Dane Moore NBA. Anybody not following? Um, yeah, love all the work you do, Dane, at Dane Moore NBA Podcast. Um, 
Blue Wire, Blue Wire, uh, Blue Wire brother over here. And is there anything else I'm missing? I don't think so, right? Nope. Yeah, yeah. Just if for some reason a Sacramento Kings person wants to read about the Wolves or or listen to a Wolves podcast, uh, I got you. Yeah, to realize that your your team and your feelings are are shared by some other fan base somewhere. Hey, I love that. You know me. I love I love that stuff. The the parallels and like being like, why is this working for this team when they have a similar situation? Or looking at like, that's the fun stuff about our jobs is is being able you know it's being able to do trying to solve the unsolvable puzzles and you know the, the games themselves are fun but the the thinking about it part is is fun too yeah definitely and uh you do a great job of breaking it down dane so like i said anybody not already it's at dane Moore nba on twitter and definitely check out all the great work by myself and the other guys at king's herald and take a look at the patreon for our local independent king's coverage and if you enjoyed this episode of the king's Pulse podcast please subscribe rate and review and you hear from us again in the next couple of days